welcome to the ID Talk podcast. My name is Peter Counter, and I am the editor in chief of Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, where we are at the forefront of the identity privacy discussion, working with our association partners in vertical markets to advise on privacy best practices and help educate people around the world about their digital identity rights. That's why I'm so pleased to present to you a very special episode of ID Talk, presented with the Security Industry Association specifically on the topic of privacy. This episode is divided into two parts. First, we start with a brief introductory interview with Security Industry Association CEO Don Erickson on the association's history, the effects of the current pandemic on the security industry, and SIA's approach to privacy education. That interview sets the stage perfectly for part two of the episode, in which Kathleen Carroll, founder and managing partner of Seven Seas Consulting, who serves as chair of the Security Industry Association's Data Privacy Board, interviews Naomi Lefkowitz, senior privacy policy advisor in the Information Technology Lab at NIST. That in-depth conversation concerns the new NIST privacy framework on which the Institute is currently seeking feedback. Links to SIA and NIST's privacy resources will be linked in the show notes, but for now, we have an enlightening episode ahead of us, so let's get started with this very special episode of the ID Talk podcast. I'm joined by Don Erickson, CEO of the Security Industry Association. Don, thank you for joining me today on ID Talk. Peter, thanks very much for the opportunity. It's a real pleasure to be with you. For those who might be unfamiliar, what is the Security Industry Association and what are its main objectives? Thanks very much, Peter. So the Security Industry Association, or SIA or SIA, depending on who you're speaking to, we're an international trade association. And today we represent approximately 1,100 suppliers of electronic physical security services, products, software that are more considered converged solutions in today's environment. Approximately 50% of our members are manufacturers. I'd say the next category would be integrators, national integrators and independent regional integrators. And then we have monitoring companies, investment firms, students, specifiers of security products. We're very fortunate and proud of the fact that we represent, we believe, every segment of the security ecosystem. And why that's important is that it helps us develop terrific and compelling best practice guidelines. It supports our advocacy efforts. It results in a number of really interesting and forward-looking trend documents and forecasts and market research, as well as education sessions that appeal to a variety of stakeholders throughout the industry. Absolutely. We know firsthand, and many of our listeners know, Fine Biometrics has been involved in some of those educational efforts. You know, one of the big topics right now, not just in biometrics identity and security, but the entire world is the global pandemic and how it's shifting and affecting our everyday lives. Security is a major part of everybody's life. We all have locks on our doors. We all have logins to our computers. How is the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the security industry right now? Well, not surprisingly, it's affected our industry in a very profound way, as it has really every industry. And before I get into that a little bit, I would like to just take a moment and thank those that are in the field, uh, particularly with our industry, the technicians, the installers, the project managers, 
those who are certainly essential employees within our businesses, who have families and friends of their own, but who are out there performing the mission of their businesses and of our industry, which is to keep all of us safe. And so that is very, very much appreciated, as is, of course, our admiration for first responders and healthcare workers and doctors and medical staff as well. For our industry, the, the impact is in, in a few different ways. Uh, when we look back to March, SIA was very much involved along with two other associations, the Monitoring Association and the Electronic Security Association in working to ensure that our industry was declared an, an essential workforce, which meant that our technicians, our installers could go into their customer facilities, conduct services, repair systems if needed, and, and simply perform their jobs. So we were very successful in having that essential designation included in the Department of Homeland Security or CISA guidance. Secondly, in general, the most common metric that I hear in terms of revenue for the industry and how it's been impacted during this COVID period, whether, we're, whether I'm talking to manufacturers or to integrators or to another segment with the industry is that in general, revenue is down in the industry about 20% as a result of the pandemic. And that's obviously due to businesses closing on the commercial side, in particular, the government slowing down. So that, that's had an impact as well. But one of the things we've done during this period is to help educate the industry about how they can return to work, about best practices for managing remote workforces, about enhanced cybersecurity practices, both that can be used at home and in the workplace. So we've really ramped up our educational efforts during this period to support our members. It's absolutely essential. And even in more of the digital side of things, as everything is converging, as we know, into more of a universal identity and security framework, we are also seeing with everybody at home, the fraud rates are rising. Remote work is, is opening things up to greater fraud as well. And it is extremely important that we have security ready, especially when it comes to the spread of the virus, making sure that people are are safe and know the best practices for security, what solutions are best, and uh, yeah, of course, how to how to get people back to work safely, of course. So no, that's uh, exactly, I agree. very noble. <laughs> no, absolutely no, Peter, you're exactly right. And that's well said. So COVID-19 recovery and management of the pandemic and how you respond to it is now part of our, our risk management strategy, right? For for so many of our member companies. So it's something that from this day forward. Uh, we will continue to work on and, and to try to develop solutions and, and best practices that, to help the industry and, and their customers as well. Mm -hmm. As we're talking about going back to work, a big thing that's been happening over the past five years especially is a, an increased focus on privacy and a lot of more regulation and legislation on what was once really kind of thought of as the Wild West in terms of PII, personally identifiable information, general data security. And as people start to get back to work, I think this is a great opportunity for people to start thinking more about privacy regulation, compliance, and whatnot. That's partially the topic of today's episode. It's focused on the new NIST privacy framework. Why is privacy so crucial to the security industry right now? Well, let me take a step back. It's a great question. Let me take a step back from, for a moment and just look back 
for about a decade and then talk about where we are today and talk about why, why it's so important. So first of all, I have always found that fine biometrics has been at the forefront of covering privacy issues uh, for the industry and impact in the industry, which, which I have always appreciated and, and learned a lot from. And the work of fine biometrics has influenced some of the, the policies that we've developed over the years related to privacy for the industry. So that is very much appreciated. CETA itself has a very long history on privacy issues looking back about 10 years ago. So about a decade ago, I was running government relations at the time, and some of the advocacy efforts that I worked on related to RFID and biometrics, and there were various states at that time, hasn't really changed, but at that time, there were certain states such as California and Pennsylvania that sought to enact very ill-advised proposals that would regulate or even ban the use of biometrics. And so we became very proactive about the important steps that the industry was taking to show its privacy enhancing technologies that were being implemented by manufacturers in particular. And at that time in 2010, where there wasn't a lot of discussion by industry groups around privacy and security, we recognized the importance of elevating the need to be more proactive about adopting privacy enhancing principles. And so we developed our first privacy framework in, in 2010. If you fast forward about seven years, we elevated it a step further in terms of our activities in privacy and established a data privacy advisory board of which Peter O'Neill serves. And we're very appreciative of his active involvement on the board just to raise awareness about the importance of privacy, as you say, in the security industry and help our members deal with some of these complexities and these new policies that you've alluded to that are coming out on a really rapid level in various states and on the federal level as well. It seems like every week we're looking at a new proposal that would restrict the use of various technologies in the identity space, whether that be facial recognition or some other type of technology. So the evolution of privacy and security has really advanced over the last decade, in my opinion. Why it's so important, it's really simply put. It impacts not just manufacturers who are designing products and integrators who are installing it, but it's it's impacting the customers. And I think every single individual, you and I included, Peter, we all care about our privacy to, to some extent. And probably in this COVID-19 environment, and we're working from home more often, we're even more in tune with how our data is being used and the policies around the certain technologies that we're using to access our own networks and in different ways at, at home. So I think, in my opinion, pre-COVID, there were the two most, what I always would say was that the two most important issues facing the industry were workforce development and identifying talent and privacy. And privacy has been at the forefront for the last decade, as I described, and I have no reason to believe it's going to slow down as a result of COVID-19. There may be a whole host of new issues that come up regarding the appropriateness of how you pro process data when you're testing employees in their offices or when they're working for you at home or in other circumstances as well. So it, it matters because it impacts business, but it, it matters because it impacts individuals uh, across the board. I think that that set the stage perfectly, Don. How can people learn more about SIA and the topics that you discussed today? If you're interested in learning more about SIA, please visit our website, securityindustry.org, or you may email me directly at D Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N, 
at securityindustry.org. And we look forward to our continued work with Fine Biometrics and appreciate the opportunity today. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Don, for, for joining me today on ID Talk. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. I'm joined by Kathleen Carroll, founder and managing partner of Seven Seas Consulting, who serves as chair of the Security Industry Association's Data Privacy Board, and Naomi Lepkowitz, senior privacy policy advisor in the Information Technology Lab at NIST. Thank you both for joining me today. The topic of discussion on this special episode of ID Talk is the NIST privacy framework. It's a very interesting topic with a lot to discuss. So without further ado, I will open the floor to Kathleen. Kathleen, take it away. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Naomi, for agreeing to do this interview with us. As Peter said, privacy is a really important topic, especially for those companies in the security industry who are faced with daily collecting uh, personal data for security purposes. Naomi, let's start with the basics. What is the NIST privacy framework? Well, first of all, let me say thank you for having me on. Um, we're, I'm very excited to be here to talk about the privacy framework because, you know, we're very excited about this voluntary tool that we've developed to really help organizations identify and prioritize and manage privacy risks to, you know, really build innovative products and services while protecting individuals' privacy. So let's go back and let's talk about how how did it come about? I know that NIST did a cybersecurity framework, which was extremely well received and adopted in a widespread manner. Do you have the same hopes for the privacy framework, at, you know, as far as what its goals are? Yeah, I, we actually do. And I think that success was one of the reasons why, you know, in the last couple of years, given sort of the legislative environment and, you know, various high profile incidents around privacy, that we began to get, you know, interest from stakeholders as to, you know, whether we could, in fact, replicate that success that we had with the cybersecurity framework um, and do that for privacy. So, you know, we absolutely tried to follow that model in terms of developing a voluntary tool, you know, recognizing that the tool doesn't provide value, then, you know, no one's going to adopt it. So we really tried to work closely over a year-long process, you know, very public, very open, uh, working through iterative stages to make sure that it really, you know, meets stakeholders' needs. And when you say stakeholders, who are you talking about? Are you talking about uh, members of the privacy community or private industry? Who comprises the stakeholder members? Certainly, this is a tool for, for organizations who are processing data. And by processing, we mean you know, anything from collection through disposal, you know, the entire information lifecycle. And so organizations who are you know, processing data about people in order to, you know, achieve some kind of mission or business objective with their products and their services and who maybe therefore need to be concerned about privacy risks that could be arising from that processing. So this is a tool for, you know, any organization, any size, any sector, private, public, uh, what have you, internationally, wherever you may be, whatever stage you're at, um, this is a tool that we hope has the flexibility to be used by anyone. 
That sounds wonderful. So we talked about NIST and, and we talked about the cybersecurity framework. When you think about privacy and cybersecurity, how would you describe the relationship between the risks associated with cybersecurity and the risks associated with privacy? Because, of course, privacy isn't just online. You know, our concerns aren't just about online privacy, but, they're, you know, privacy is, is all-encompassing both in the physical world and the cybersecurity world. Sure, and I completely agree. So we've been at NIST been looking at this like a Venn diagram. So, you know, you have cybersecurity risks sort of in one circle, uh, and we've sort of always understood that, or, you know, for a long time we've understood that those kinds of risks can arise from losses of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And we certainly recognize that there's an overlap with privacy in terms of you know, data security and the impact that can have on individuals' privacy. But we also see privacy as, you know, having its own independent risks. And as I mentioned, you know, we associate those as arising from data processing. And, you know, the organizations, as I said, are really, you know, doing to achieve mission or business purposes. So it's almost like an unintended consequence that people can, know, experience some kind of problem um, or an adverse consequence from this kind of data processing. So, you know, they could be embarrassed about something or they could feel like they're being surveilled in some way uh, or some discrimination could occur. So, you know, the range of problems can be broad, but in some way they are associated with the processing of data about them. NIST is seeking informal feedback on the current draft of its privacy framework. Interested parties are encouraged to learn more at nist.gov privacy framework. And now, back to the podcast. So you mentioned earlier that a lot of what's prompting the interest in privacy is that, that you know, there were um, breaches early on and, and continue to be breaches that have, have, you know, been in the news. And as a result, you know, states and the federal government are looking at and are implementing privacy legislation. So that means that compliance is a huge concern for most companies and companies in, in the security industry are no different. How can the privacy framework help a business meet its privacy compliance requirements? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the first thing we like to make very clear is that this is not a prescriptive document. You know, in order to achieve the flexibility for anyone to use it in any jurisdiction, um, it really actually needs to be agnostic to any specific law. But rather, what we really focused on was providing sort of these outcomes and activities that really create the building blocks for organizations to achieve the policies or the technical capabilities that they might need to meet their legal obligations. And so in essence, you you can use the framework to sort of figure out your priorities and to demonstrate what kinds of measures you might be taking to meet your obligations. So it really sits between your legal obligations and actual implementation and development of your systems and products and services. Okay, so that's a really good point about the building blocks and what the privacy framework provides for companies. And 
So I'm going to go here to the small to medium-sized businesses who often lack the resources to dedicate to implementing a comprehensive privacy program. Where should a small to medium-sized business start in building their privacy program? Yeah, that's a really key question and, you know, certainly one that we're exploring and actually would love to get more feedback on. But for starters, I think, you know, we've created within the framework this sort of very simple ready, set, go model for a way to use the framework to just think through some basic activities and set some priorities. And so, you know, you might start with sort of these, we have these five high level functions. And you could start with identify and govern and really think about, are you in the habit of creating and updating data maps so that you know what is happening with data? Um, and, and in addition, these maps really provide a basis for doing privacy risk assessment, which is just you know, critical to sort of achieving, you know, how do you optimize beneficial data uses while minimizing adverse consequences? So it's really the heart of what the, uh, you know, the value of the framework is about. And then, you know, establish, are you establishing privacy values, policies about data processing? You know, if management doesn't provide some direction, it's really much harder for employees to act effectively. So with these basics, SMBs can really take those identified privacy risks, any applicable legal requirements, and then begin to think about sort of which outcomes and activities in the other three functions, control, communicate, and protect, are most important. So for example, maybe you have a legal requirement to take data deletion requests from individuals. Uh, and so the law is not going to say much more than that, but you can use the framework to sort of think through, hey, do I have the actual capabilities to go into my systems and find and extract data? Do I have the right identity management processes in place to do that uh, and make sure that I'm uh, not deleting information that, that belongs to somebody else, right? It's whole another privacy problem. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so the framework isn't going to tell you to do all these things, but it provides the basis for this conversation. So, you know, take a few hours with senior management and have that conversation about priorities. What can you do today and what will you target for the future? That's ultimate. Lisa gives a place for a business to start, you know, when they do have uh, limited resources. So that's extremely helpful. So we're talking about compliance. We're talking about emerging legislation and legislation that's already in place that is directing companies and how they need to, you know, address and protect privacy. But aside from helping businesses meet their privacy compliance needs, what are some of the other benefits of adopting and implementing the privacy framework? In other words, what's the value add that will accrue to companies? Why should they invest resources and time and money into uh, developing a privacy program? So that's actually my favorite question because really, you know, first and foremost, this framework is about building trust. So, you know, as you mentioned, I'm from NIST. I'm from the Information Technology Lab. And that's pretty much our main mission is to think about how does the nation build more trustworthy information technologies? And that privacy, we now understand, is a really important part of that. Because if people don't trust products and services, then they might not use them, or they might be abandon them, or you know, or slow to use them. And and that's you know really important to I think to any company who's trying to grow and expand and develop more products and services 
to have that customer trust. And so first and foremost, this framework is really about providing a tool that helps organizations sort of engage in her more ethical decision-making about how we optimize beneficial uses of data while minimizing adverse consequences for people. So for the small to medium-sized business, not addressing or protecting privacy could lead to actually catastrophic business failure. Is that what you are saying in terms of not protecting privacy? Well, I think, um, you know, if you've seen some of the, you know, incidents in the news and, you know, and how I think that's really impacted how people, you know, sort of certainly if an organization is, you know, products are widespread enough, people may sort of be caught in a network effect of using them, but they're not actually that happy. And so there's actually a potential opportunity for other organizations to build products with better privacy and sort of gain people's trust. But overall, you know, I think for a small and medium-sized business particularly, it would seem to me that 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 trust relationship is critical to growth. Ah, agreed. When should a company start to think about privacy? You know, at what stage should they should they be thinking about it when they're designing and building product, or is it when they're talking to customers? When does a company start to look at privacy the first time? Absolutely, from the very beginning. As I said, you know, starting with you know having privacy values at the top, and you know, thinking about how do we embed that so that our products and services are actually designed to reflect those values. And so, in that sense, the the framework is, you know, we try to design it to really be aligned with organizations, you know, system development processes, right? Because it's not going to work if we just think about privacy as something that gets tacked on at the end. Right, right. So you mentioned earlier that one of the negative side effects of not protecting privacy is that people feel that they're being surveyed, you know, that that they're under the watchful eye of technology that they don't want to be. But many security solutions rely on the collection and processing of, of personally identifiable information to protect people and assets. What are some of the key privacy challenges associated with such data collection and processing? And how can the privacy framework help the security industry forestall some of the negative consequences of such collection? Well, I, I think you've, you know, sort of hit the nail on the head that, you know, one of the interesting aspects of the relationship between privacy and cybersecurity is that sometimes some of the techniques that are used to, you know, it's like a double-edged sword, you know, some of the techniques are good for cybersecurity right. and good for one aspect of privacy, but can impact another aspect of privacy, right, on that surveillance side. So, you know, one of the things that we really encourage is certainly at a practical level, some trade-offs are going to be required, but, you know, having done risk assessments, you know, and really sort of analyzed and understood what you're doing, then you can actually better explain that. But on the on the other side, on sort of the, the positive side, analyzing those risks, understanding where some of these trade-offs are can actually increase perhaps the demand for the kinds of technical measures that could actually both provide security and privacy. So we have a whole section in the framework about these kinds of techniques. So, you know, different types of 
privacy-preserving cryptography can meet both security needs and privacy needs. And so it would be great to see more of those solutions adopted and you know, become more widespread. So, so the Security Industry Association has been working for quite some time, and we created the um, Data Privacy Advisory Board a couple of years ago, recognizing how important this issue was to, to our industry. And so we're thrilled to be able to work with NIST in uh, advancing and educating privacy concerns, issues to our member companies. So in their quest to protect privacy, and protect people and assets at the same time, how can we best work together with NIST to, to make this happen? So we the adoption are, of the framework. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, right? I think podcasts yeah. like this are great. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we also recognize that, you know, sort of the framework in and of itself isn't that going to magically change things. But... Uh, and, and also, you know, it can't be everything to everyone. It's, it's one document. So what we've developed is a online resource repository on our, on our website uh, where we are trying to collect both guidance and tools that NIST has created, but also, you know, we're seeking contributions from the community. So the, you know, the more information that's available to help organizations achieve these outcomes, the better it is for everyone. So we very much welcome contributions to the online resource repository. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. We truly appreciate your insights and your help and look forward to working with you in the future. And Peter, back to you. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you both very much for that enlightening and educational conversation. This is obviously a very complex topic that a lot of people do need education on the identity life cycle we're finding is something that people generally have very siloed levels of education on. So this is a fantastic conversation we're very happy to host. I would love to give our listeners the resources to learn more. So I'd love to ask, where can our listeners go to learn more about the privacy framework and contribute to its further development? So we have a dedicated website. Um, so if you just go to nist.gov forward slash privacy dash framework, you can find the framework itself or the resources, the repository that we just described, as well as a mailing list so that you can get updates on opportunities to engage with us to help with further development and one area that we're really looking at right now is, as we've been having in this conversation, is about how do we develop more resources for small and medium-sized businesses. So we would love to have more engagement on that. So we really encourage people to join our mailing list, uh, and we will be providing opportunities for that engagement shortly. Fantastic. And we will provide links to that in the show notes. So everybody just take a look at your phones and click on the hyperlink there. Kathleen, where can people go to learn more about Security Industry Association's Data Privacy Board? The Security Industry Association website, securityindustry.org. The Privacy Advisory Board has its own dedicated page. So we have lots of resources there. We've developed some specific to um, the security industry. And in fact, back in 2010, we developed a, a privacy framework 
specifically for the security industry and, and Naomi, nothing like the NIST data privacy framework. But, you know, we just wanted to give folks a heads up and a little bit of a, a background on privacy because it was so new to the industry. And we've since updated that. But I think we have several resources there regarding facial recognition, drones, a lot of the different technologies associated with the security industry. Kathleen, Naomi, thank you very much for joining me today on the ID Talk podcast. Thank you. Thank You're you. very welcome. Thank you, Naomi. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And so concludes this special episode of the ID Talk podcast. Special thanks to Sia and NIST for joining me on today's episode, with specific credit to Don Erickson, CEO of Sia, Kathleen Carroll, founder and managing partner of Seven Seas Consulting, and Naomi Lefkowitz, Senior Privacy Policy Advisor in the Information Technology Lab at NIST. To learn more about the security topics discussed today, visit securityindustry.org. And to review and provide feedback on the NIST Privacy Framework, visit nist.gov privacy framework. As always, our podcast theme music is by Logamrad. I have been your host, Peter Counter. Thank you for listening to the ID Talk Podcast.